But you cannot serve God and wealth, Jesus says. Ouch. In a nation where 95% of Americans fall within the top 1% of wealth in the world, a county that is one of the five wealthiest in the state, the state that we live in, in a community that when you drive home, your drive is dotted with million-dollar houses, that is a punch in the gut. And you'd be tempted to say, well, surely Jesus is exaggerating here because there are plenty of wealthy people who are exceedingly generous, who not only give of their treasure, but also their time and their talent are active in faith communities like this one. Is Jesus saying that there is something deficient in the faith of those Christians who also happen to be financially fortunate? And then we have this weird parable where it sounds like Jesus is praising a household manager who was at best wasteful, but more likely was bezeling from his boss. And Jesus says, be like that guy. The topic of money is one of, if not the most anxiety producing, uncomfortable, undesirable topics that we can talk about in church. And yet, Jesus talks about money, whether it's teaching about it directly or referencing it, using it to make some other point. He talks about it more than any other single topic in the Gospels. 15% of of Jesus' preaching references money. 11 of his 39 parables have something to do with money. And as a whole, the Bible has over 2,300 verses dedicated to the topic of money. So yeah, it's uncomfortable. But yeah, it's something that we have to talk about. Understanding God's view of money and wealth and aligning your life in accordance with that view is critical to following Jesus and becoming a person that God has called you to be. And what Jesus seems to be saying here in this parable, just like those bank robbers in the old westerns, it's your money or your life. I'm going to unpack that a little bit, so, so don't worry. But we're, we're continuing the Beyond ser- Sermon series today, and we're, we're looking at the different beyonds that God calls us into. And anytime we're called beyond our current reality, whatever that calling is, there is resistance, right? There, sometimes it's doubt. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's just comfort. We're just comfortable with where we are in life and our current reality, and we don't really like it. When somebody points out, hey, maybe there's an opportunity to change here. Maybe there's an opportunity to grow here. Maybe there's a way in which our preconceived notions and our emotional attachments need to be challenged, not only for the good of the world around us, but for our own good as well. And not only is there a call on each of us as individuals to go beyond, but as a people who have gathered together As a family of faith in this congregation, God is calling us to go beyond together. And so our theme verse in this series is a promise that whatever beyond we are called to go, God is always with us in that beyond. And so let's read that verse together from Joshua 1.9. 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So as I said, this this parable is a really, really weird one. And it has confounded people with, with master's degrees and doctorate degrees trying to understand what it is that Jesus is saying. What, what, we can, what we can summarize about it is that it is about a manager of a household who squandered the, the wealth of his employer. It, it, you, you hear the stories of celebrities who, who wake up one morning and find out that, oh, they're actually broke because they had a business manager that made bad decisions or just stole money from them. And that's kind of what this guy is being accused of. And it's all out in the open now. And, and he's afraid of getting fired because no one would hire him to do the job that he just got revealed as being either bad at or unethical in. And the only thing left for him in his mind was either manual labor or begging, neither of which felt like an option for him. And the fear here is actually valid because unlike today, there were no social safety nets. For people in a situation like that, destitution was very possibly a death sentence in Jesus' day. And and in some ways, it, it is in our day as well. So this man does the only thing he can think of to help himself out of his situation. He goes to the people who owe his boss money, and he slashes their debts trying to curry favor with them so that if he does get fired, hopefully they will show him hospitality. They'll give him a place to stay and food to eat until he figures out his next move. Now, it gets even weirder because the boss catches wind of this, and he's not even mad. Like, he's kind of impressed by what this manager is doing. And then the weirdest part of it all is what Jesus says about this manager and about this situation. He says in verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal homes. What? If we're not careful in how we read this, it sounds like Jesus is saying, buy yourself some friends, and buy your way into heaven, right? That's what this sounds like. I assure you, not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is presenting a proper understanding of the role of money in our lives and the destructive nature of the pursuit of wealth as an organizing principle of your life. Uh, on the priorities of, for accumulation, financial resources, Jesus says, are actually at the bottom. That relationships with, with friends and family and neighbors and coworkers and fellow disciples and, and spirituality, love and grace and freedom and inner peace, those are far more important than the accumulation of wealth. And so Jesus says, use the money that you have to bless those around you and to participate in what God is doing in the world. The reality is that the financial resources at your disposal, yes, they are for your use, but they aren't actually yours. 
They've been given to you to steward. That you and I are actually like the manager in that it is our job to make the best use out of the resources that we've been given to steward. And the problem of the manager is that he got in trouble because he squandered the wealth on himself. He didn't use it according to the principles and instructions of his boss. And Jesus points back to us and says that we are accountable for how we use the resources that God has given us. And he says in in verse 11, if you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? True riches as distinct from worldly riches. Possessing money is not the problem. How that money is used and on what basis and whose priorities are those decisions made, that is the problem. That is the challenge, just as it was for the manager in the parable. How you use the financial resources you possess that God has given you to steward has a direct impact on what you will experience spiritually and relationally. If your view of money is that it's primarily for your own consumption, you will be driven to make sure that there's always enough for you to consume. You will forego investing time and energy and focus on relationships and on spirituality in the pursuit of acquiring more for you to consume. And in that mindset, it's really irrelevant how much you actually have because it's really about the organizing principle of your life. I love what Paul writes in in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money is the root of all evil. The love of money, the pursuit of money as an organizing principle of your life, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered away from the faith and have impaled themselves with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. I love that, that vivid imagery. But if your view of money is that it is a tool for you to steward for the glory of God, for the good of others, you will be free from the focus on consumption. And in your generosity, you will discover that there is always enough to meet your needs and to flow through you into the lives of others. It really is your money or your life. It's either the building, securing, and the accumulation of wealth for your benefit, or it's the pursuit of life the way Jesus intends with money as a tool for you to steward as the Spirit leads. Jesus says you can't have it both ways because you'll either love one and resent the other. You'll either love Jesus and resent the hold that money has on you. You'll have anxiety over money 
for the consumptive purposes that it has on you, or you will love what your money will bring you and resent Jesus for, at least in your mind, making you feel guilty for loving it so much. Or you'll resent your pastor for making you feel like you love it too much. Can't have it both ways, Jesus says. But what Jesus promises here is that if you view money the way Jesus views money, as a tool, yes, to meet your needs, but to also be a blessing to others and to participate in what God is doing in the world, your faithfulness will be rewarded with true riches, which aren't financial. Like This is not prosperity gospel here that says that God proves that, that you are trustworthy and faithful by raining gold bars down on your doorstep. Like, sorry, it's not the gospel. It's the joy that comes in the affirmation of your Savior and being able to see the impact that your faithfulness has on the lives of others, the community of which you are a part. And if Jesus says that serving God as opposed to money, if he says that that is the better path, you can trust that he will deliver on everything that he has promised. Now, one thing I, I want to be clear about in all of this is that anxiety over money, either because you actually don't have enough or because of circumstances beyond your control or decisions that, that you have made, there's this perception of lack that is nothing to be ashamed about. I think that's a lot of the reason we, we feel anxious when we talk about money is because there is this perception that there isn't enough. And then we feel guilty for the anxiety that we feel that there isn't enough. And, and if that were the case, if that's what Jesus w- would have wanted for us, he would have pointed at this manager and says, this is wrong. This guy should be ashamed. But he doesn't do that. And Jesus doesn't do that to you either. What Jesus does is he meets you in that shame. And he extends to you an invitation to trust, to lay that that shame down at the foot of the cross and let it be crucified with Jesus so that you might be free. Because your identity isn't found in what you do or do not have and your identity is not found in what you have or have not done. Your identity is found in who Jesus says that you are and in how he has proven that he actually believes it. Because if you weren't valuable simply because you are God's creation and beloved child, that Jesus would not have gone to the cross for you. And he did. Because he loves you. Because he values you. Just as you are. But what Jesus also does is says, I don't want you to carry that burden anymore. And so I'm going to lead you into a path of following me in every area of your life. And that includes the area of generosity as a spiritual discipline because what you find is that when you are generous, it actually sets you free as you learn that you cannot outgive God. We're going to hear a little bit in a little bit more about how we do this here and how we uh, partner with God financially through what God is doing here at King of Kings and and through our walls, you're going to hear from me in a minute uh, about some of the goals that we have for 2024. 
to expand our impact in the community. And I would encourage you to, to view this not as something that we want from you, but something that we want for you. An opportunity to leverage what God has done to participate in God's work in the world in this way. I shared this with our, our new members last Sunday at the, the vision course because we do talk a little bit about the finances here uh, and how they, how they work and, and how our giving works. Uh, and I, I, this is going to sound a little bizarre. I love giving money away. It's actually one of my favorite things to do. And it's not because I'm, I'm, I just have the, like money pouring in from all these different places that I don't know what to do with. That's definitely not the case, I promise you. But what, I, what we've learned is that when we get to be a part of making an impact beyond ourselves as a household, there is far greater joy in that than what we would have done with that money if it would have just sat in our bank account for our own consumption. And what we've also found is that every single time that we as a household, Laura and I, we make these decisions together, and that's really important, God always shows up. When we take a step of faith to give beyond our current reality, even when we feel that resistance, God is always there. Always makes sure that we have enough. Always gives us the courage to take that step of faith. When we give, not because we feel like we have to, because there's obligation or guilt or shame, but because we want to, because it gives us joy, because there's freedom that's found in it, God always comes through when we've prioritized that generosity. The issue for Jesus is not the amount of money you have or don't have. It's the mindset with which you seek to acquire it and what you do with it once you have it. So I'm going to invite us to consider this question and if you would stand. Is your life organized in the pursuit of Jesus, which is where true life can be found? Or is it organized in the pursuit of financial security? And one thing to remember is that if you feel guilt or shame or fear or condemnation in a moment like this, that is not the Holy Spirit. That is the enemy seeking to tell you you're not good enough. Jesus comes to bring hope and joy, and freedom. And when we recognize that maybe a shift is made, that is the Spirit's, the Spirit's conviction of us. But there's also a promise to be with us as we navigate how we make that shift.